0: We're looking at Luke uh, chapter 22, going through this chapter, and um, I want to go through um, verses 21 all the way down to verse 30. And there's a couple of things I want to talk about here uh, and share with you guys as far as this chapter is concerned. So uh, let me have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Lord God in heaven, you know, always, always, always I am dependent upon you father to uh, to uh, bring to life uh, your your word, I mean I, I can study uh, all week long, but Lord, if you don 't put life into the words, then you know all that study really really is to no avail. so we look to you, Lord, uh, to uh, open our hearts, our eyes, and our ears to hear what it is that you would have for us. I pray, Father in heaven, for those folks who are traveling. Uh, Pray, Father, for those folks who are um, cooped up because of the COVID. I pray, Father, that your grace and your, your mercy would be evident in their lives and minister to them, Lord, in that special way that you do. Again, I pray for your blessing upon this lesson in Christ's name. Amen. So we read here in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 21. Uh, Jesus is addressing his um, men there at the, at the table. We'd already talked about the Lord's Supper uh, previously. And he says here in verse 21, he says, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Now, of course, Jesus knew who it was that was going to betray him. But I always find it interesting that Jesus didn't put the finger on Judas before the men. You know, Uh, he didn't come right out and say Judas is the traitor, everybody. Uh, He didn't he didn't do that. Um, But uh, Judas was revealed by a sign. Does anybody know what that sign was? The sop, yeah, the, the sop, that's the sign. Uh, John 13:26, 26, uh, Jesus said, He it is to whom I give a sop, and when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So, yeah, so he w- did kind of tip him off. Um, the dipping of the sop uh, and the passing it to another, that traditionally uh, was a token given uh, to the guest of honor traditionally and unfortunately in this case uh, the guest didn't live up to the honor did he no not so much uh, it also says in John thirteen twenty one that Jesus was troubled by uh, Judas's decision to betray him uh, Jesus thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said very very I say unto you that one of you shall betray me And the world the word troubled uh, speaks of a, a heart that's grieved A heart that's grieved, a heart that's uh, saddened or disturbed. Okay, so he had a a grieving heart uh, because of Judas. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, right? And to me, you know, Jesus is being grieved wasn't so much that this dirty traitor was in his midst. But Jesus was grieved over a sinner, That's because he had love. He he loved sinners. Even he even loved Judas. So this was a grief over over Judas and his track that he chose to take and and what he was getting ready to do and it could be that uh, Jesus didn't openly expose Judas by naming him Uh, it could be that uh, Jesus was really hoping uh, that Judas would repent that he was giving him opportunity uh, to repent Uh, that's a possibility I think and um, and I think that's what was going on here again the others didn't have a clue who it was that Jesus was speaking about uh, when he said somebody was going to betray him him. Uh, They even asked among themselves, right? They even inquired among themselves. That's what the word inquired means. Uh, They even asked among themselves, you know, do you know who it is? Do you know who it is? Uh, John, again, John 13 22, it says the disciples looked one on another doubting of whom he spoke. So they were, they didn't know. They didn't have a clue. Uh, They were, they didn't know who it was. They didn't know it was Judas. Uh, Even when Judas left Uh, The dinner, right? Uh, The reason why they thought Judas left was because he had the bag of money and Jesus gave him, you know, an order to go out and get something for the poor or something. So even up to that point, uh, these men didn't have any idea uh, who it was that uh, was the betrayer. Jesus continues here in Luke 22 he says and truly the son of man goeth as it was determined but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed now as I said earlier in some earlier lessons I think if there's any man's life that was predetermined by the counsel of God that would be Jesus Christ That would be the only person that I would be hard fast saying that his life was predetermined uh, from the very beginning. I mean, it was, he had to uh, die as the Lamb of God for the sin of the world. I mean, uh, I think his is the only life really uh, that we could say was foreordained or predetermined. First Peter one nineteen says, "But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who was who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times." So, if anybody had a preordained life. It would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I say that uh, because, uh, you know, you, you'll hear some folks say that Judas was preordained uh, to, to betray Christ. And I, I don't go along with, with that. I think Judas uh, committed this betrayal by his own will. He made the choice. He made the choice. Uh, this, this was the tragedy of Judas's, uh, Judas's life. I mean, uh, he chose this self-destructive course, uh, for himself. He had plenty of opportunity. He had plenty of opportunity to change that course, but he didn't do it. And and his heart just became more and more hard against his conscience and against the Lord's warnings and against the Lord's admonitions. Uh, Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And I think that's the course that uh, Judas Iscariot had taken, because if you read through the Gospels, uh, and you see this interaction between Jesus and Judas. I believe that Jesus was trying to warn this man. I believe Jesus was trying to admonish this man. I think Jesus was trying to get this man to rethink what he was doing and to repent. Uh, Jesus foreknew that Jesus uh, that Judas would do what he was going to do, but that didn't fix uh, Judas's fate. I don't think that fixed Judas's fate. Uh, Judas acted of his own free will. And uh, he was not like some folks say was a puppet of fate. I don't believe in fate. I just don't believe in fate. You remember Pharaoh? Uh, Pharaoh uh, back in the days of Moses uh, the Lord told Moses in Exodus 319 he says I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go no not by a mighty hand God knew how, the, how Pharaoh was going to behave in this whole matter but that didn't mean that Pharaoh was, was uh, fixed or forced to behave that way he just knew the man he was dealing with because in, in Exodus 5 2 it's Pharaoh himself who said who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go I know not the Lord neither will I let Israel go and what happens if you read the story what happens Pharaoh gets more stubborn more hard more stubborn more hard more stubborn and then finally you read says okay if that's the way you want to go then I give you up to that and that's the danger that's the danger you got to be careful with this stuff you know Uh, Judas was uh, in the presence of the Lord from the very beginning he was selected from among all the disciples to be part of the 12 he saw the miracles he heard Jesus preach he himself was even made part of this power when he was sent out with another fellow and they were able to cast out devils and stuff when when Jesus gave them that power so he was a part of all of this and he knew all of this you know there's that verse in Romans 2 4 that says or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance right well that was Judas he was witnessing all of this Um, brother Mark Lockwood this past Wednesday when he was um, uh, speaking to the group here uh, he was talking about the inclination of our hearts And he was talking about how the inclination of our hearts, how it should be, uh, each day should be inclined more and more towards the Lord. But unfortunately, there's there's folks... That just go the opposite direction, doesn't it? Have you ever talked to someone or dealt with someone and the more you talked with them about the Lord and the more you've dealt with them, it seems like the more and more they've resisted it and the more and more they've stepped back from it and the more and more they don't want to listen to what you have to say until finally it's like, what am I doing here? You know, what am I doing here? Unfortunately, there are people that are that way. Uh, God is not willing that any perish, but unfortunately, there are some who choose to perish. And there's not much we can do about that. Not even the Lord can do anything about that. I should say he doesn't do anything that because he respects that free will. He respects that free will. Uh, so tragically, I think like Judas, uh, there's some who don't heed the call. And uh, with their own works of their own hands, they, they provoke the Lord to anger until finally the Lord says, OK, uh, if, if that's the, if that's the way you want to go, I did everything I can. I did everything I can. I'm just going to respect that decision of yours and, and, and let you go that way. You know, one old time pastor of a of a carnal and strife-ridden church preached on Judas at the table, and he proclaimed in his servant, he says, How many observed the Lord's Supper, insincere in their hearts, and through unrepentant, sinful lies betrayed the Lord that died for them? Well, he had a revival in the church because the people didn't want to be associated with Judas. They got to thinking, you know what? He's right. If I behave this way, I'm really no better than a than a Judas, and we don't want to be that way. We don't want to be Judases in our hearts, do we? We just don't want to be Judases in our hearts. Uh, so not only does he have this um, traitor at his table, he also has some uh, disciples at his table uh, that are bickering. look at this in verse twenty four and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among him among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth? Is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he. That serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So besides having this this, this false disciple uh, present at uh, the table here, uh, Jesus also had to contend with uh, bickering disciples. And of course, the, the reason why there was this contention was this matter of... Um, Who was going to be the greatest among them? Who was going to be the greatest among them? Uh, You know, Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, uh, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Uh, Does anybody in here remember uh, a comedian by the name of Joan Rivers? She had a a catchphrase. And her catchphrase was, uh, can we talk? (laughs) And you knew you were in trouble when she said that. Can we talk? Uh, and looking at these guys, uh, can we talk? Can we talk? I want to talk a little bit about um, ministry and, and service and one's heart, one's attitude in it. Um, now, I'm not an expert or anything like that. It's just this is what I've seen okay this is just what I've seen you know I've been involved in in ministry my wife and I have been involved in ministry for uh, over 35 years almost 40 years together and um I've been in various roles. I've been I've been in a leadership role. I've been in a fellow laborer role. I've been in, from everything from um, mowing the grass uh, to being a, a worker in the children's ministry, to uh, teaching an adult class, and now currently uh, they've got me here uh, teaching uh, future leaders in the church over here in the institute. So I've you know I've been involved pretty much on both ends of the deal if you will and I've uh, uh and I've um one the one issue that I have observed that uh, afflicts both the greatest and the least if you will in service and in and, and in ministry is this 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 prideful issue of who will be top dog in the pile I've been in you know for that long a time this is the one thing that I've noticed uh, most often more often than not and so what I'd like to do is uh, just with these guys here I'd like to share some very simple principles um, that I've had to learn the hard way uh, also i 've learned from observing uh some some simple principles about the uh, about one 's attitude in ministry or service and these aren 't when you hear these principles, you guys are going to say, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that they're very simple, but isn't that where we trip up? Isn't that where we fall is a very simple little things about, about the basic principles of things. So let me share with you. I think I have eight of them, uh, very basic principles of ministry. Uh, no matter how deep you're into it or how shallow you're into it, uh, you know you can profit from these things I think so principle number one as far as ministry or service is concerned is this serve as unto the Lord and not for the purpose of being seen by others serve as unto the Lord and not for the purpose of being seen by others okay isn't that true though isn't that true Some folks are in the ministry because they want to shine, they want to be seen, they want to be noticed. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 7, Servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. But as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not unto men. See, human nature, being what it is, um, there are some who have personal ambitions, when it comes to ministry and when it comes to service. I mean, that's just that's just human nature. Uh they get involved because um it's a way for them to showcase. It's a way for them to to shine before others. It's a it's a way to um uh, you know, show their talents or their abilities. You know, that's why that's why they want that's why they get into 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 ministry. And it could be With uh, uh, this bickering among the disciples, uh, you know, it could be it may have started when they all started to gather around the table and find their place to sit. And it could be that they were kind of arguing over uh, who was going to sit on Jesus's right hand and who was going to sit on Jesus's left hand and then go from there. Right? No, 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 that's my spot. That's where I, that's where I need to be. No, 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 that's my spot. You 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 should be down the table a little bit more. See, it, it was this—it's this—it's this fussing over uh, preeminence. It's this fussing over place in the group that was causing the strife. That was causing the strife. You know, Jesus uh, made mention of the Pharisees. He said, "For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God." In other words, they were looking for prestige, right, among the common people, right? Sometimes people get that mentality about ministry you know that for some reason that elevates them above uh, the others uh, above their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ so they they love the accolades they love the status that ministry brings them and they relish that praise and that admiration uh, that comes from holding an office or, or or a place in church that's not a good place to be in your heart as far as ministry is concerned that's, that's just not a very good place to be uh, Ma- uh, Matthew 23 5 says uh, but all their works they do for to be seen of men to be seen of men that's not serving the Lord is it That's not serving the Lord. That's serving your ego. That's serving, you know, that's serving to be seen in men. Uh, some folks just want to be noticed for what they do and they'll tell everybody what it is they do because they want folks to know. They want folks to know about it. They covet the attention. They covet that notoriety that they believe service or ministry will, will provide them. But the Bible teaches us, That we're not to serve with that kind of attitude. You know, we're to serve the Lord for the Lord's sake. You know, we serve the Lord out of gratitude for what he's done for us. You know, we serve out of, out of a heart of gratitude for what uh, Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. You know, uh, he's, Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 27, he says, whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And then he says this, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He's our standard. He's our model for service, isn't he? Uh, When our service is motivated by a heart of gratitude to the Lord, you know what happens? You find yourself not so much focusing on what others think of you, right? But rather what you're focusing on is you're serving Christ for Christ's sake. Because he should be your focus in ministry, He should be your reason for doing what it is you're doing. Instead of being so concerned about pleasing the pastor or pleasing so-and-so, we should seek to please the Lord in our service and our ministry. Because in the end, right, that's who it is that we seek to please. And that's who we want to hear from him. What are the words that we want to hear from him? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Right? But if you're getting all the praise from men, chances are you may not hear that from the Lord. So serve us unto the Lord and not, and not to be seen of men. Which brings to the second principle. And it's very, very close to this one. The first one is that our service is to be motivated by, guess what? Love. Love. You serve because you love. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. But by love, serve one another. Uh, Serve with love. You know, you look at these guys, and uh, yeah, it was prideful. Uh, it was selfish that brought up this this strife among these guys. And I'm sure some heated discussions were had, and I'm sure some words were said that probably would have been better left not said. I mean, I've been in situations in ministry and service uh, where there's such a venomous <laughs> bitterness involved because of you know they've got their attitude all wrong as far as service is concerned and so they say things to others or about others behind their backs in the ministry that should have never been said Because it's not very—it's just not loving. Uh, These these men uh, had been spoken to the uh, spoken about this uh, before, and they knew that they weren't right in their hearts. I I remember reading a a time in Mark's Gospel when uh, they were walking along and and Jesus was in front of them, and uh, they were talking about this very thing right here: who was who was going to be you know in the top of the pecking order. And so Jesus stops and uh, he asks the guys, he says, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys disputing? Mark 9.34, it says, but they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Why do you think they held their peace and they didn't tell Jesus? And he knew what they were talking about. But why do you think they didn't tell Jesus what they were talking about? Because they knew they weren't right. They knew they weren't right in their heart. They, they didn't want to talk to the Lord about it because they knew their motive was wrong. They knew their motive was wrong. I mean, uh, even one time the mother of James and John got caught up in the spirit of this thing, didn't she? Uh, she came to, to Jesus and she said, um, you know, I want you to make my two sons, uh, James and John, to, one to sit on your right hand and one to sit on your left hand. Because that's just, that's that's in our nature. That's just in our nature. And now here we are just hours away from the Lord's crucifixion and what were these guys bickering over the very same issue the very same issue who was going to be the greatest among them who was going to be the top dog really really the word strife means an eagerness to be contentious do you know anybody who's eager to be contentious do you know anybody like that it's like they have a hair trigger you know the least little provocation and boom they go off you mention a person's name and boom it sets them off you mention a situation and boom they go off we used to call them hot buttons people have hot buttons don't they You know, there's an eagerness uh, for contention. And this was something in these men's uh, lives that they simply could not let go of. So they were really quick to debate it. They were really quick to argue over this stuff. They were really quick to, to, uh, you know, uh, be contentious about the, the pecking order whenever somebody would bring it up or a situation would uh, make it sensitive to them. Not very loving. Not very loving. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, "'Charity suffereth long and is kind.'" Charity envieth not. You see that that envy is behind a lot of this stuff. Uh, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. You know it's not looking for to be that top dog. Uh, charity uh, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. <laughs> Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Doesn't have that hair trigger thinketh no evil and see a sure sign that our service is more self-centered than Christ-centered and in love is that we're so quick to cause division within the ministry or service that we're involved in because something's not going our way or we're not getting the attention that we think we need or you know whatever reason whatever reason It was love for personal prominence and place among these men that prompted this strife instead of showering love on Christ in his hour, right? He was just hours away from being crucified on their behalf. But instead of showing love, they were bickering. They were bickering. And I see that in service a lot. Instead of serving in love, they would rather bicker. Yeah. it's not pretty. Another principle is uh, serve with um, humility. Serve with humility. Acts twenty verse eighteen it says and when they were come to him, speaking to the apostle Paul, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner i've been with all with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind with all humility of mind, uh, that humility of mind that that Paul is talking. you see the problem with some folks. Is that they're too high minded about themselves. They're too high minded about themselves. Uh, they think of themselves as more capable than others, more talented than others, uh, more spiritual than others. And what they fail to see is this overinflated opinion about themselves. They fail to see the adverse effect it has upon those they, have, they minister with and serve with. Your attitude can really affect folks. And sometimes we're not even aware of it. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. See, this is what the, the Lord expressed to these men in verse 26. He says, But ye shall not be so. Don't be high minded like this. He says, But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat? Then he says this, but he says, but I am among you as he that serveth. He's the Lord, the creator. But yet he came to serve. He came to serve. He says, don't be so high-minded about yourself. This is not how I behave. Why are you behaving that way? Why are you behaving that way? Now I don't know for sure, but I just can't help but wonder that before Jesus addressed these men on this topic, I just can't help but wonder if John thirteen um, verses three f- through f- I'll get it out in just a minute. John thirteen verses three through five hadn't take place hadn't taken place. You know John thirteen three through five. That's when Jesus washed their feet. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, that's a remarkable statement right there. Verse 4, he rises from supper, lays aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. (laughs) Wow. You know, to me, the rebuke that has the most impact is not so much a rebuke made in words, but the rebuke that is seen in loving behavior and right actions. Right? When somebody steps up and presents the example that we should be living... that's what touches me I mean I can have somebody lecture me all day long and I can dismiss that lecture they could be right point after point after point but I could dismiss that lecture but if they come to me and they exercise the very principle that I should be living what do you do with that you can't ignore that You can't ignore that. You know, sometimes God's people behave like lost people. When they try to outshine or dominate their brothers and sisters in Christ for prideful reasons. I've even known pastors who try to overlord their flock and control their flock purely out of... Pride. purely out of pride 1 Peter 5 2 says feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly not for filthy lucre or you know, getting rich but of already mine neither as being lords over God's heritage but being in samples to the flock I am grateful for the pastors that we have in this church because they lead by example Randy Foster's walking around battling brain cancer but what an example he is and what a rebuke he is right and Pastor Brian you you don't know half the stuff that that man does around here but he leads by example all of the pastors are that way I'm very, very grateful uh, for the uh, the leadership that we have in this church. And Jesus here, by his example, he sets upright what the world has put on its head. As the world views leadership, it means that the leadership can enjoy special privileges at the expense of those that they lead. They lord over those and make themselves rich over the very people they are meant to shepherd and help. We don't see this kind of leadership in the world, do we? No, we see grabbing uh, greedy leadership out there, uh, enjoying the perks of leadership. There's no humility, no humility there. You know, it's when the pastor, leader, disciple uh, serves with the same humble attitude of heart of his master that you really do emulate Christ before others. You know, you want people to see Jesus in you, then serve with humility of mind, seeking to glorify him seeking glorify him Philippians 2 6 who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men I remember when Pradeep Lima was here what two three years ago he said he said something that just hit me between the eyes he said a true pastor is one who has learned to die for his sheep. Now I don't know about you guys. But I sat in the back and I said, Wow, forgive me, Lord. You know? This is humility of mind. And this humility mind should not only be in the church, but it should also be in the home with the with the fathers, the husbands. The husband should love and lead his wife and family as Christ loved his church with humility of mind. Your wife is not there to serve you hand and foot. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. To be the greatest is to lead a life of humility to the Lord and not to lead a life of pridefulness seeking privilege and prestige and prominence that goes nowhere that goes nowhere you know the one thing that will stop a a church or a family uh, from 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 progressing into the in in the Lord's work uh, or even from healing right in a church uh, or even in the family is a prideful attitude Is a lack of humility. It's this prideful attitude uh, that uh, will um, cause all of this uh, consternation and strife uh, within the body of of Christ and within within the church. It's just not a very good thing. I had a fellow tell me one time, he says, No one ever loved and respected a man who is always out for himself at the expense of others. I thought, well, that's that's pretty good you know the one ambition allowed the one ambition I think is allowed in Christianity is the ambition to glorify Christ in all that you do if you want an ambition in life don't glorify yourself glorify Jesus A fourth uh, thing that I learned the hard way and I've seen, is uh, service is um, sacrificial. You sacrifice in service. Philippians 2, 7, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice if any any of you guys have been uh, in service or ministry for any length of time or at any capacity you're going to recognize pretty quick (laughs) that sacrifice is a part of it personal sacrifice is a part of it the problem with these men was is they were unwilling to sacrifice their place in the pecking order you know no no, Peter you're absolutely right that, that is your seat I'll, 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 I'll sit down here none of them were willing to do that and unfortunately many of God's people are unwilling, are unwilling to do the very same thing they're unwilling to sacrifice unwilling to sacrifice personal sacrifice the opposite of humility and love is uh, what these guys were being driven by and what they were being driven by was that little five letter word that we know of as pride pride Bible says a lot about pride. Just check proverbs out sometimes. In fact, according to Proverbs 6:16, 6, a proud look is at the top of God's "I don't like this list. I hate this list. A proud look. Now in the English language, pride is a little five-letter word. But when pride is in action, it destroys everything it touches. Think about that. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, when we read that verse, we, we apply that to a person. But that can apply to a home, and to a church, and to a business. Whatever pride touches and contaminates, it'll destroy it. It'll ruin it. Now, I think this little trick only works in the English language as far as pride's concerned. But what's in the middle of the word pride? What letter is that? I. (laughs) Because that's what pride's all about. That's what pride is all about. And when pride's at work in the heart of a leader or a pastor or a ministry head or a husband or a boss or a parent or a member of the church, just like Proverbs says, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for that individual. It's not going to go well for the service of the ministry they're involved in. It's not going to go well for the family or whatever. Because pride ruins everything it touches. Remember Lucifer? Do you know why we're in the fix we're in? Yeah, pride. Pride. You see, when we allow pride to rule in our hearts, we begin to focus on our personal rights, our personal needs, our personal wants. We become overly occupied with self, what we want, what we need, and what other people need or what other people want. That's way, way, way down on our list, even if it makes it on our list. Because pride will not sacrifice. What is important to me is what pride's all about. And pride will always, it, I take that back, I'm sorry I misspoke. Pride does sacrifice. Pride will always sacrifice others in order to get ahead. Pride will always sacrifice others in order to get ahead. The one thing that'll stop a church, a family, is pride. a prideful attitude, an unwillingness to personally sacrifice one's rights or wants uh, for the greater good of others or for the glory of God. It'll also shut down uh, communication, because pride always wants its voice to be heard. It's like the old cartoon, you see the little boy with his fingers in his ears and he's shouting at the top of his lungs. That's pride. That's pride. It's that unhealthy focus on the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. I remember being in a counseling situation with a couple in marriage. And uh, the pastor had some really good principles, some really good points. And uh, f- the gal says, well, I'll, she says, well, that's all fine and well, but what's in it for me? Pride. Pride. You know, anybody who's been involved in ministry for any time at all, do you understand the importance of personal Sacrifice. You have to lay aside yourself. You have to. And when the servant of God does this, they're most like their Savior. Because did He not sacrifice Himself for us? Serve with a pure conscience. Second uh, Timothy one three he says I thank God whom I serve with from my forefathers with a pure conscience. Uh, as I had mentioned, these men were admonished, admonished before about this issue. Uh, they held their peace because they knew they weren't right. They knew that their conscience wasn't clean. Uh, so we want to serve with a pure conscience. You know that means our you know our motives. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it it are the issues of life. Just let me say from personal experience, again, like I said, some of these principles I learned the hard way. But um, when you're carrying around excessive baggage, like pride or whatever, That affects your service. That will affect your ministry. When you're carrying around whatever, whatever it is, and you know it's not right, you know it's not glorifying to God, you know it's not the right thing to carry around, that will affect your service. Oh, you'll show up but you'll look like a grumpy Gus (laughs) or you'll be, you know, wanting to take over, you know, serve with a clear conscience, keep short accounts, make those necessary corrections, do what you have to do because you don't want to taint your service, right? You want to keep it clean. Which brings me to another point. Serve with the proper attitude. Do you ever serve in a ministry with somebody with a stinky attitude? Have you ever been that person with a stinky attitude? I know I've been a few times. I know I've been a few times. Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find First Peter two twenty one, for even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. You know we should have a good attitude of heart, and I'm telling you, attitude is the key. Attitude, heart is the key. I mean, how is your attitude in ministry and service? You know, your attitude reflects to others it's also contagious have you ever been in a group of people and you've got somebody who's in really a sour mood doesn't that kind of affect everybody else yeah they don't call it stinky attitude for nothing now there are some who are truly gifted by the Lord to be leaders and you can see that in the fruit, in the fruit of their ministry, in the, in the way they deal with people, and, and everything else like that. And I praise God for, for folks who are gifted by God who are in this way. I am. I, uh, uh, Randy Foster is a, I believe he's gifted in administration. I mean, that guy, uh, I can't plan my way out of a paper bag. But I mean, Randy is just amazing, he's phenomenal. He's absolutely phenomenal. So I praise God for, for folks who are, are gifted in that way. And he's got such a good attitude about it as well. But there are some folks uh, who are just, uh, they're just carnal. And they behave like power mongers. Ever been around a power monger? they' always got to be in control That just makes it, it just makes it very very difficult uh, this this fleshly spirit of wanting to be you know top dog and number one and being the greatest that 's not good that 's not a good place to be in a you know as far as a ministry or anything and I have seen that ruin so many ministries i've seen that ruin so many ser- you know uh, uh, people wanting to serve. And unfortunately, that desire to be number one, I think, is in all of us, isn't it? If we're really honest with ourselves, it's in all of us. See, Jesus' disciples were fixated on an earthly kingdom. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of God's servants are. They're they're all about their own little kingdom right here. That's not what it's all about. It's not what it's all about. A proper heart attitude is an attitude that is motivated for love for Jesus and love for others, a desire to glorify the Lord in what it is that you say and do, and to see your brothers and sisters edified and to grow in Christ in their own ministry and in their own service, because you're placing them first instead of yourself. That's a good heart attitude then serve faithfully First Corinthians 4 1 it says let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God moreover is required in stewards that a man be found faithful would you say that Jesus lived an easy life no he didn't did he he really didn't live an easy life In fact, Jesus makes mention to these men in the last part of this passage how that they stood with him uh, during his temptations, during his trial, during his, his lifetime. I mean, Jesus didn't even have a place to lay down his head and call his own, did he? So he didn't have an easy life. And Jesus was soon to experience a horrific death. And he knew that these men were going to be severely tested in their faith. He knew they were going to be severely tested in their faith. These men were going to be pressed to the limits. Right? Pressed to the limits in their faith in Christ. He knew this. And he warned them about this. And we're going to look at that with Peter here next. And we're all that way. We're all that way. We are pressed to our limits sometimes. And you know what the inclination is? I don't know if in all of you, but in most of us, you know what the inclination is when you're pressed and your back is to the wall? You want to quit. You want to quit. You want to give up. You want to run away. It's not worth it. The sacrifice is too great. The demands are unacceptable. I'm getting out. I'm getting out. Be faithful. Be faithful. Hang in there. Don't quit. You see, I'll make a confession to you. That is an inclination in my heart. When I get stressed, when I get pressed, when I am severely tested and challenged, there is that wanting to flee, that flight. But I also know I can't do that. I can't do that. I've got to be faithful. I've got to hang in there. I've got to stick in there. Remember a, a time that I almost did quit? I was down in my basement. That's where my office was at the time. I was packing up all of my books, putting them in boxes. I was getting ready to get rid of everything. I was done with ministry because of what was going on. And here I am down in the basement, and I'm packing up all these books. And then I heard a fluttering. <laughs> Flying down the steps of the basement and slam right in front of me was my wife's Bible. And she said, if you're going to quit and if you don't think it's worth it, then you might as well pack this too. Yeah, ooh. And the Lord smote me because I realized it's not all about me. It's not all about me. You see, we need to be faithful for the Lord and we need to be faithful for one another. Because it's not all about me. Be faithful. Be faithful. And then, to bring it around first circle, remember we serve as unto the Lord, and not seeking the you know the praise of men we serve with reverence to the lord we serve with reverence to the lord psalms 211 serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling whether you are cleaning the church or teaching a class, or standing on a street corner preaching the gospel, or taking care of kids in the E wing, you serve with reverence. Never take what it is you are doing for the Lord as something unimportant. You serve with reverence because you're serving him. You're serving him. You start making what you do the focus. You start making yourself the focus of what it is that you're doing. Then you are not honoring the Lord, are you? You're not honoring the Lord. You're honoring yourself. You're honoring yourself. And that's how people become embroiled in the bickering because they forget (laughs) who it is they're serving. And so they bicker and they fight. And you know what? This something else along with the same thing with serving with reverence for the Lord. Let me me tell you something. Let me give you a, a warning shot over the bow. Because I have seen this, I don't know how many times I have seen this. If your heart is not right and it's motivated by pride or whatever else is going on God sees that and um, he may let you slide for a little while but he loves you and you know what the Bible tells me about those whom God loves he chastens them he chastens them I don't know how many times I've seen it where pride is involved in a ministry and that person has been chastened by the Lord because of it. Because God loves you. And he wants you to repent from that attitude and get the right attitude. I remember when we were... Little boys I had two, I have two brothers and brothers being brothers we were always scrapping we were always fighting we were always punching each other and my mom would finally come to the end of the rope and you know what she used to do we absolutely hated this she made all three of us sit on the couch with our arms around each other we hated that in fact, we'd sit there and we'd pinch each other with our arms around each other. <laughs> but we hated that. But we got the message. You know? You're brothers. You're supposed to love each other. Not fight and bicker. And that's what God, when he chastens you, is that's what he's trying to get across to you. Hey, I love you. That's why I'm chastening you. You've got a stinky attitude. You should serve loving me and loving your brothers and sisters instead of bickering and seeking the glory. And seeking the glory. Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye shall serve the, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You see, the, the fellows were all about the rewards here and now. And unfortunately, that's the way some of God's people serve. They're looking for the rewards here and now. But let me tell you something about those rewards. They're like these Christmas decorations. It's so much tinsel. It means nothing compared to the rewards that we'll enjoy in eternity. Do you want the tinsel or do you want the real stuff? That's up to you. It's up to all of us. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the example that you have set and in the way that you have uh, surrendered yourself to us. Father in heaven, we're weak and beggarly people, and we struggle with sin. But help us, Father, that we might be able to be better servants Like what Mark preached, day by day, day by day, may we be more inclined to be more like you. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.